Hello again, boxing fans, and welcome to episode number 312 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero for The Ring Magazine, The Ring Digital YouTube channel, and ringtv.com. As always, I remind you guys, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure you click that notification bell so you never miss a live video. But if you can't make it Monday evening, it's all good. Audio podcast is available on podcast platforms around the world. Just look up the neutral corner, Michael Montero, Montero Unboxing. You will find me there. And the same thing, man. Subscribe. Uh, give us reviews. Give us ratings. Right now, while you're watching, click that little that little uh, button that's shaped like a thumbs up. Click on that. All right? Hit that. And uh, as always, another reminder, we charge a fee on this show, but it is non-monetary. The fee is this. If you get entertainment out of the show and you enjoy yourself, you know what? Spread the word, man. Share it. Share it under social media. Let your uh, sports fan friends, your boxing fan friends know about the show because we don't do ads here. Believe me, I get offers. I could do ads, but we don't because I don't want to bombard you with a bunch of bullshit right at the beginning of the show, like 99% of the other podcasts out there. All right. Want to get right to it, man. So um, that's why I give my little spiel up at the, uh, the front of the show. But so there is a fee. It's not monetary. So make sure that you pay the fee. All right. Spread word about the show. Now we've been having issues with the phones, but I tested them yesterday. We did a couple test runs and we got that sorted out. So the phone should work today. If they don't, then I am going to just flip out. Now, <laughs> before I get started, uh, let me show you this dope gear right here. Um, ah, you can't see it too well, but Roots of Fight just released their Crunk series. Awesome, awesome stuff, man. They sent me a little care package. I wanted to share this with you guys. Uh, check out Roots of Fight's website. They got a whole new Crunk series, that yellow pain in fame Detroit T. That's what I'm rocking right now. I got the XL. I'm six foot four, so I'm tall, but I'm I'm fairly slender. You know, I'm athletic build, if you will, but slender. I'm not that big of a guy. So the XL is just fine for me. Uh, if you're a little shorter, then a, a large should work. But uh, I think they're going to have more stuff than this, than what's available right now. But this uh, this stuff that they released here, just to start off with, is pretty dope. So make sure you check them out, Roots of Fight. Just wanted to give those guys a shout out. Also, uh, I think I've shown you guys this before, but the real Kronk Gym store, all right? There's a bunch of fake um, uh, links out there. Uh, in different countries, including the UK, that's that's selling crunk stuff that is not official crunk gear, okay? I just want to put this out there so everyone's aware. The real crunk gym store, this is where you can go to buy gear, crunk gear, from actual crunk. And a portion of the proceeds, the profits here, uh, go to, of course, you got to pay for the gear and everything like that and the cost associated with that. But a portion of the proceeds, the, the profits, go to ESCOT, which is Emmanuel Stewart's youth development program that they're keeping going. Um, and there's all kinds of gear on here that you guys can check out, okay? So uh, I wanted to give both of those uh, guys a shout-out. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm just really, really proud to be associated with the Crunk brand and um, to be a part of the team, man. It's really, really awesome. We're going to have some guys from the Crunk uh, team on the show eventually like i've been telling you guys just wanted to give a shout out to roots of fight in their new crunk series and the real 
Crunk Gym store that's out there. Also want to give another quick shout out to the guys at Title Boxing, particularly Doug at Title Boxing for uh, sending me some stuff to rock in my next fight uh, coming up next Friday, May 13th here in Atlanta. Uh, they sent me some trunks, robe, uh, some, some new sneaks. Everything looks great, ready to go, man. Uh, so we're doing some last-minute preparations for that. How do you get all those shout-outs out there? No advertisements. Those are just shout-outs to good people doing good things that are involved heavily in the boxing world that I respect the hell out of. And you guys know me. I'm not going to sit here and promote somebody's brand, somebody's swag, somebody's merch here on my show if I don't rock it. I'm sitting here rocking the Roots of Fight gear. Um, I rock with title. I got a lot of title gear. And, of course, Crunk. I'm associated with Crunk. Uh, you guys read the awesome piece that I wrote uh, in, in Crunk. Uh, I'm sorry, in Ring Magazine recently about Crunk. So um, I'll, I'll gladly, gladly give a plug to anybody that's doing great work in the boxing world. And I just want to get those shout outs out. Now, much to discuss, much to discuss, right? Um, I hope you guys got some popcorn. I hope you guys are ready to be triggered because <laughs> I have some rants to go in on. We'll do that. But first, Super Chat Pledge for my man, Chris Bergen. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, he said, I posted a pic of you on Twitter. Did you see? Uh, what was it? What, I'm, now I'm scared, Chris. <laughs> I've seen a couple of pictures of me on Twitter today from some of my acting stuff, and it was not pretty. Uh, let me see. I'm scrolling in my timeline. I'm scrolling in my feed. I don't see anything. I see a picture of you rocking the MOBT, which is pretty dope. But uh, I do see a picture of me from Army Wives, an episode of Army Wives that I did that somebody posted. Uh, good times. And yes, I was wearing a bowling shirt in that scene on uh, Army Wives, that show from Lifetime. I didn't choose the clothes, guys. They wanted to make me look kind of shabby. And so the wardrobe people found some beat up old uh, jeans, faded jeans and a bowling shirt to put me in because I was supposed to look kind of ragged in the scene, which wasn't hard. Uh, anyway. Okay. Um, what else do we got here? Oh, hold on. Let me see. I think I found, did I find Jack just forwarded Chris Bergen's tweet. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember this one. Oh, you know what? I'll share this real quick. Hang on guys. I'll share this for the people, for the people that ain't watching the video. Uh, sorry, you're going to miss this. Let me see if I find it. Uh, yeah, this is from a pilot that I did. Uh, that yes, and that that big drink that I'm drinking says huge gulp, and I play a pothead in this in this pilot. Um, I, I've never I, I don't smoke weed, I, I don't at all, but I played a pothead in this show, and it was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, yes, that is me sipping on a huge gulp, stoned, but of course I don't do any of that. I don't drink huge gulps because um, there's no such thing, but I don't drink sugary drinks, and I don't smoke pot, but. For the sake of art, I was doing it there. All right, let's move on. I do not want to get into acting stuff here. There's some embarrassing stuff out there that I do not want to get into. Uh, I want to jump right into news and notes. And we've got some, uh, some upcoming fights to discuss. So let us do that super duper quick. And then we'll get into this review because, um, you know, I, I really want to get into Taylor Serrano. And I know you guys do too. All right, so uh, news and notes. The biggest item, and we talked a little bit about this Friday on my channel, but the WBC has ordered negotiations between undisputed 140-pound champion Josh Taylor and mandatory challenger Jose Zapata. They have until May 24th, 
So less than a month to get this thing negotiated. After that, it will go to purse bid. So should Taylor decide to stay at 140, and should he decide he wants to keep that WBC belt, his next fight is going to be against Jose Zepeda. And let me tell you something. That is a fantastic matchup. Uh, that's That'd be perfect for ESPN. They could put that on in Vegas. They could put that on a few different venues. If they want to do it over there um, in, in Taylor's backyard, they could do that as well, obviously. But he just fought over there. I think it would make sense to bring him out here, maybe to Vegas. Him and Zepeda, that'd be a fun summer fight on ESPN, maybe at the MGM or something like that. That'd be a lot of fun, man. That's a fantastic matchup. Also, some upcoming fights. Uh, June 10th in Mexico City, Hiroto Kayoguchi, who is the Ring Magazine junior flyweight champion, is going to defend his title against Esteban Bermudez. Um, that's, again, Mexico City, it's on the zone. And that is um, of, you know notable because it's matchroom boxing partnering up with Canelo Promotions. And they have some fights that they're going to do down there in Mexico together. I wanted to mention this, not only because it features a Ring Magazine champion and a Japanese fighter against a Mexican fighter, which is always good, but um, I like what Matchroom's doing globally, man. They're doing events all over the world, guys. We talk about this all the time, right? They're doing shows in Italy, Uzbekistan, um, Mexico, of course, the United States. They got one coming up, which we'll preview in the show. So I really like the global infrastructure through the zone that Matchroom has set up and the partnerships. Um, again, this is a partnership with Canelo Promotions. Obviously, he's working with Canelo this Saturday, May 7th, coming up. Just worked with Jake Paul, right? Eddie Hearn did. So I really like what they're doing over there. I'm telling you, not that I love everything Matchroom does, but this sport is global, more global than ever, and this makes a lot of sense. Also, in uh, San Antonio, later in June, June 25th, fantastic fight between WBC junior bantamweight title holder Jesse Bam Rodriguez and Srisaket Sor Runvisai. That will be on the zone as well. That's a fantastic matchup, man. Love, love, love that matchup. So we got a few. There's a couple others I could mention, but we'll get into them, uh, you know, in other weeks. But uh, this, this schedule is, you know, look, these are, these are for diehard fight fans, these matchups, right? These are for the casual fan, but there's, we're going to have a good summer too. I'm telling you. Uh, and I think we're going to have a good fall. The 2022 is turning out to be a pretty good year. We need a few other things to kind of fall together, but this is a good year in boxing, man. All right, let me get right into this fight review. Cause that's, where we're going to spend most of our time today. Okay. Uh, and Saturday, April 30th, there are two big cards of note. In the United States, let's start in New York. Matchroom boxing with most valuable promotions at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I think last week during the preview, I said the the uh, the theater. That was incorrect. This was actually in the garden, the, the the big bowl. New York City, of course, Manhattan, right in the middle of it. On the zone, Katie Taylor scores a split decision win over Amanda Serrano. This was the sixth defense of Taylor's undisputed lightweight champion. And a lot of people were calling this the biggest matchup pound for pound in women's boxing history. I was saying that going in, it felt like that. I did several interviews about this fight on, on different platforms. And I got to tell you guys, it not only lived up to the hype, it actually exceeded my expectations, not just the fight itself, but the event. I was blown away. I, I was absolutely blown away. And a lot of the things I'm going to say here are probably going to piss some people off. Uh, 
Uh, but some of you guys need to hear it. You, you, you just do, okay? Um, before I get into the specifics of the main event, let's talk real quick about some of the undercard action. Uh, in a co-main, Liam Smith scored a good TKO 10 win over Jesse Vargas, remains a solid fringe contender at the junior middleweight division. Vargas hadn't fought in over two years. He's been dominated in his last two fights. It was Mikey Garcia, I think, in 2020. And now this fight in 2022. He's basically semi-retired, very experienced with everything, but he, he ran for office and he's doing all this other stuff. So I don't know if he really wants to continue fighting on. I'm sure he'd like to get a W. He'd like to go out with a win. He's not going to get it against a Mikey Garcia or a Liam Smith at this point. He's just not going to get it against that level of, of uh, opponent. He's going to have to go down a little bit to get that W. As for Liam Smith, you know, um, he's going to be in there against a, another top guy at some point. Uh, 154, you know, it's consolidated at the top. It's, it's Charlo and Castaño. But eventually those titles will break up and there's going to be eliminators and all this kind of stuff. And there's some young guys coming up that might want to test themselves. And Smith is going to be right in the mix of all that. Also in the co-main main or co-co-main, I guess that's how I should say it. Franchon Cruz Desern scores a unanimous decision win over Eileen Sederos uh, from Sweden, her first pro loss. And uh, Cruz Desern wins the undisputed super middleweight championship. So uh, you can't help but feel good for this woman. I mean, she lost her pro debut against Clarissa Shields. Later on, she fought uh, Alejandro Jimenez, who is a, a steroid user, a cheater, and you know had to deal with all that drama. And keeps on chugging away, keeps on working, 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 and works her way into this situation now where she's consolidated all the belts at 168. And Clarissa Shields, who who was in attendance there at MSG Saturday night, uh, was doing some color commentary. You know, she they've talked about the possibility of doing a rematch down the road. Why not? I mean, Shields, there's not a lot of opponents at that weight. I've talked about that a lot on the show. Um, so, you know, hey, I, at this point, Clarissa has got some unfinished business with Savannah Marshall and everything, but perhaps Cruz Desern could get a, another big fight against the Shields or somebody else down the line. So, so good for her. Um, all right, back to the main event. So uh, Taylor improves to 21-0 with a split decision win over Amanda Serrano. The official scores, Guido Cavalieri scored at 96-93, Glenn Feldman 97-93. So to be clear, both of those are seven rounds to three for Taylor, okay? Uh, Guido Cavalieri scored at 96-93 because he scored one, I think, the fifth round, 10-8. to eight. So both uh, Feldman and Cavalieri scored at 7-3, Taylor. And then the Canadian judge, ben Benoit Rosal, scored at 96-94 for Serrano, six rounds to four. Now, for my money, seven rounds to three, either way, is too wide, okay? So I, I did not agree with two of the judges scorecards in, in regards to uh, the, the rounds, how they scored the rounds. I think you can make a case for seven, three Taylor, all the way to six, four Serrano, depending on how you score the swing rounds. If you go all for Serrano's favor, she wins six, four. If you go all for Taylor, uh, Taylor's favor, it's six, seven, three Taylor, but I don't like going in one direction with swing rods, I like splitting them up. And if you split them up, you either get a 5-5 five, five draw or a 6-4 win for Taylor. That's the way I saw it. I saw Taylor edging this fight. Watching it live, I scored it 96-94. 
I think I gave her the first three rounds and the last three rounds watching it live, watching it again. I scored it uh, same score, but I switched a few rounds. I think I gave uh, once again, scored it for um, actually, I think I gave maybe Serrano the second round. And then I gave Taylor one, three, and four, and then seven, eight, nine. And I gave Serrano 10. I just flipped it around, but I ended up with six rounds to four for Taylor. Um, so I, I just, she edged this fight out guys. And, and, and so I'm going to explain why and how I got to that. Um, of course, I'm going to break all this down. Uh, but before I go any further into the fight itself, I just, I want to, I want to make this very, very clear. Okay. You guys know that I don't do the virtue signal thing. I don't do the, um, politically correct thing. I certainly don't kiss ass to, to get favors. If anything, I go hardcore in the other direction on that one. Um, I understand that there's a lot of people who are annoyed with the pay to play thing going on in the boxing media. And it's all forms of media and entertainment. It's not just boxing, right? So it's, it's the entire entertainment industry works like this now, particularly in the age of social media and streaming and all this stuff, but stick in the boxing. There are a lot of people that will just kind of rock with the the new thing, right? And they'll go hardcore. And I'm not that guy. But we live in this divided world right now. I guess everything always has to become divided along two sides, right? But I'm getting it from both sides. I've, I've gotten some shit from both sides of this. Because if, if I say something positive about women's boxing, um, and, and hold up women's fighters, any woman's fighter, any female fighter in high regard or anything like that, then I'm just a, uh, soy boy cuck, you know, and I'm just kissing ass to get ahead in the world, to try to get a gig, you know, then I'm that guy, right? If I don't love every single female fight and I tell the truth about the massive gap between the talent in men's boxing and the talent in women's boxing. Then I'm a misogynist pig, you know, and a, and a caveman knuckle dragging uh, misogynist. You know, actually, I'm neither of those things. I'm just a boxing fan telling it the way I see it. As it relates to this particular event, okay, I don't give a shit what any of you have to say. Taylor Serrano was a better fight than Stevenson Valdez. Yeah, I'm saying it. Matchroom and most valuable promotions put on a better promotion, top to bottom, a better event and a better card with a better main event than top rank did in Las Vegas. That is not me bashing top rank. That is me giving credit to Matchroom and most valuable promotions because they deserve it. Both. Yeah, I'm saying it. Jake Paul and Eddie Hearn along with Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor and everybody involved in this promotion, they knocked it out of the fucking park. And I don't know what, how anybody out there could deny it. So the, there are a handful of people out there that still have this old attitude of, I don't want to watch girls fight. Girls can't fight. Okay. Okay, dude, L let me tell you something. If you're one of those guys now, now listen, I'm not saying that the women are on the same level as the men because they're not, but some of the women are elite level fighters. Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano are elite level fighters. Take the gender shit out of it because it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. I don't care what side of the fence you're on, whatever your fucking agenda is. Stop it with the gender shit. They're just two people, two human beings who are fantastic martial artists in the sport of boxing. That's it. You don't need to add anything else to that. That's the truth. The crowd at MSG, which was sold out, and everyone's like, oh, it's history. Oh, it's women fighting. It's history. Shut the fuck up. It's two elite-level fighters in their physical prime putting on a fantastic event. You don't need anything else. There was a sold-out crowd there, and it was feverish and loud and passionate. And it's not to diminish the 10,000. It was slightly over 10,000 that showed up uh, in, in Las Vegas for Stevenson Valdez. And if we're being honest, 80% of them were there for Valdez. But I'll get to that later. But that crowd was great. I'm not putting it down, okay? But this was different. What we saw in New York was different. Madison Square Garden, in my opinion, has lost a little luster over the last 10 or so years. It's not what it once was. Some of the old heads are like, oh, it's the most famous venue in the world. No, it's not, numbnuts. Join the 21st century. It's not. And it's not the premier attraction for boxing anymore. It hasn't been in decades. However, on this night, it was. And there's some people out there saying, well, the crowd was just a bunch of virtue signaling uh, people with a political agenda. That's the only reason they were there. If it was two men headlining, they wouldn't have went. I don't know, guys. I've been to a lot of events, a lot of functions, and I could tell when a, when a, a venue is papered. Trust me, I've been to plenty of fights that were papered. It's, it's dudes looking down at their phone. Right, they're just sitting there playing with their phone. It's dudes trying to get a selfie. Hey, look at me! I'm at the fight. Huh? Hashtag. It's it's all that shit, right? That's not what I saw at MSG this weekend. I saw a bunch of Puerto Rican flags. I saw a bunch of Irish flags. I saw. I heard people singing songs, drinking, singing, having a great time. The crowd was loud as hell for the entire thing. It was awesome. Just give people credit. And I gotta say. I was trying to think of an analogy to compare and contrast the two events we saw this Saturday, April 30th, okay? I look at what Top Rank does as very dependable, very professional. I have a ton of respect for Top Rank. They've been in this business for forever, and they know what they're doing. I look at Top Rank as me listening to like a favorite album I have, right? From a, a favorite artist, listening to their greatest hits. And I know what to expect. I've heard this album before. I know what I'm going to get. It's enjoyable. It's always a good time. It's always a good listen, right? But what we saw at MSG was a brand new album that we haven't heard before from an artist. It was brand new shit. And usually when brand new shit comes out, you're like, oh, this is going to suck. New music today. It's all trash. But you hear the new album and you're like, yo, I like this. This is, this is great. This is like a whole new thing. Okay. I like what I'm hearing. That's what it was like. It was like hearing a new album and not being totally disappointed, which I am most of the time hearing a new album. And I was actually like blown away. I was like, this is, this is good shit. I'm putting this in my rotation. I, I'm going to, I'm going to cop this and put this on my playlist to work out to this from now on. That's what it was of all the traditional power broker promoters in the sport right now, your Bob Arams, your Al Heyman's, um, your Eddie Hearns, your, those guys, right? 
Eddie Hearn is the best in the world right now, in my opinion, at putting on an event, okay? You might not always get the best fight. There might be the undercard. You might not always be the best undercard. I'm talking about events. If you look at some of the biggest events in boxing in the last several years, let's go five years, okay? Let's go 10. Eddie Hearn's done a lot of them. Even recently in America, Canelo Saunders, to me, that wasn't the best fight because Saunders wasn't, I, I just never rated Saunders that highly, but that was an event because look how many people were there, right? AJ Ruiz, the first one and the second one were both events. I could keep going here. And he was associated with this fight, which was an event. It truly, truly was. And Jake Paul, I have to give it to him. I don't like a lot of things he does. He's starting to win me over, though, with certain things. He brings something new and different um, and dynamic to this. And it worked. When boxing gets it right, nothing is better. And so for some of you guys out there that are saying, girls can't fight, I'm never watching girls fight, do me a favor. At some point this week, when you got some downtime, you got about 30 minutes of free time, Open up your DAZN app and watch Taylor Serrano. Watch it with an open mind. And after that, tell me that that wasn't a fantastic fight. It was. Now, was it fight of the year? No. Will it be in the top 10? Yeah. By the end of the year, I think it'll be in the top 10. But was it fight of the year? No, it just wasn't. It wasn't. Was it fought on the skill level that we saw Shakur Stevenson display? No. They're not on that level. Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano, not quite on that level. However, they're pretty damn good, and they put on an amazing fight. Let's get to it. Let's actually review what happened. Okay. Here's something that I think, because there's a lot of you out there coming into this fight. I swear three quarters of my timeline was picking Serrano, and half of you out there are picking Serrano by stoppage, right? And you guys were so fucking pissed when Serrano didn't get the stoppage in the fifth round. And so all I've heard three minute rounds, that's all I've heard. There weren't three minute rounds in this fight, guys. There were two minute rounds. I'll talk more about that later, but the bottom line is Taylor won this fight with her footwork in her movement. Serrano did some outstanding work upstairs, downstairs, but you know what? It was pretty one-dimensional. I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. I'm saying because in the rematch, she could change that and work on some things. What Serrano did was come forward and throw punches upstairs and downstairs. That was it. She didn't fight very well moving backwards. She did not fight at all moving side to side. When Katie Taylor used lateral movement, she clearly won the rounds. They were close. They were close because Serrano got in some good shots. And because uh, Katie Taylor made some fundamental flaws here and there, it's boxing, you're going to get hit. And since one person's moving backwards, I'm sorry, one person's moving forward and the other's moving backwards or side to side, the body language when those two th land punches is maybe the Serrano, when she's coming forward, when Taylor would hit her with a you know nice two-piece, she'd stop in her tracks, but it wouldn't back her up. But when Serrano landed, it either pushed Taylor back or to the side because she was already moving backwards or to the side, right? So, so the body language, okay, that does come into play. But th the biggest mistake Taylor made in this fight 
was in the fifth round when she stood in front of Serrano and traded with her. And then she backed into a corner and stood there and tried to trade with her. It was about the dumbest fucking thing she could have did. What amazed me is that Chris Mannix on the zone, and I got nothing against Chris, okay? Really don't. He's getting beat up a lot this week. I don't want to pile on. But I remember during that sequence, Chris was saying, this is how Katie Taylor should be fighting. By the way, he scored the first, I think, four rounds for Amanda Serrano, which is insane. But in the fifth round, it, when Taylor, who had been winning the fight pretty clearly at that point, close, competitive, but clearly on my card, stood in front of Serrano and, and Chris Mannix is like, yeah, this is what she needs to do. Stand in front of her and trade with her. I'm like, what? Are you out of your fucking mind? As soon as Taylor started doing that, she got clipped and almost got stopped. Once Serrano, or I'm sorry, Taylor got back to boxing by really the sixth round, but especially into the seventh round. Uh, the sixth round was close, by the way. That was a competitive round. The only clear, really decisive round for Serrano was the fifth. That's it. Maybe uh, upon second viewing of the 10th, I gave the 10th to Serrano. Anyway, seventh, eighth, ninth. Taylor had started moving again and using lateral movement and, and, and the, the, uh, the zone commentary crew, they were like, Serrano's letting her off the hook. Serrano just, why is she stopping guys? She wasn't Serrano is a very aggressive, very physical fighter. She wasn't letting Taylor off the hook. She couldn't catch her. It's because Taylor was boxing her ass off and moving side to side using lateral movement and landing combinations. Now they weren't as impressive. Maybe. Uh, they weren't as awe-inspiring, maybe. But I will also say this. Amanda Taylor, I'm sorry, Amanda Taylor, Amanda Serrano has a wonderful poker face. Hides what she's feeling, right? But I've watched a lot of Amanda's fights. I know her in terms of how she fights and how she looks. She was clearly gassed in the second half of that fight and clearly busted up a little bit. And a little bit discouraged at times. Now, she hid that very well. So well that none of the commentators, but I think Todd Grisham did a good job. But some of the rest of the commentators, they just kept missing things. Especially Chris Mannix. Uh, Katie Taylor has a terrible poker face. If, if, she, if she's hurt, you know it. Her mouth is open, her eyes get real big, and she, she gets uh, a little squirrely. So she doesn't have a very good poker face. And sometimes people can get fooled by looking at the two fighters' faces. Oh, this person looks confident. That person looks a little squirrely. Okay, I'm going to score around to that confident person. Well, who landed the punches? Who controlled most of the action? If it's a bull matador situation, who got the best of it? The bull or the matador? And if you look at punch numbers, which I'll get to right here, um, Total punch numbers. I, this is very interesting because Jake Paul, and he's being a good promoter here, okay? But he's not an idiot. He knows what he's doing. He knows he's being manipulative. He's talking about the punch numbers. Amanda Serrano landed 173. Katie Taylor landed 147. Now, that's the total fight. What he doesn't mention is that Taylor what, th landed 39% of all of her punches, nearly 40% to 28% for Serrano, which is still pretty good. Uh, but most of that work, not most of it, but a huge chunk of it was done in the fifth round. If you remove the fifth round, 
since everyone loves living in the metaphysical and talking, well, if it was three round fights or, or you know, three minute rounds, and if we're going to stay in the metaphysical, let's just remove the fifth round. If you look at the other nine rounds, well, guess what? Taylor landed 133 punches at 40% connect percentage. Serrano landed 129 at 25% connect percentage. So um, I think in, I, I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, six of the 10 rounds, or it might've been seven of the 10 rounds, the total punch numbers were with both women were in a punch or two of each other in terms of punches landed per round. So there were a lot of close rounds, but what stood out big time was that Taylor was more accurate. Katie Taylor was more accurate in nine of the 10 rounds. The only round where Serrano was more accurate was the fifth round. So if you look at who was doing the more accurate punching and by a lot, there was a lot of times where uh, Taylor was more accurate by 15, 20 points, okay, percentage points higher, uh, several rounds. If you look at who was doing the more accurate punching and the more consistent punching in terms of punches landed through all two minutes of a round rather than an offensive burst here and there, that was Taylor. Now, it was close because Serrano was keeping it very, very close by going upstairs, downstairs. Taylor made a huge flaw by not going to the body at all. She should have went to the body. She did a few times, but not enough. Um, it was close, very close. And this was another thing that I saw a lot of casuals commenting on. Well, look at look at their faces after the fight. By the way, uh, Serrano's face looked pretty busted up by the end of the fight too. Um, in, in some of the interviews, it looked like her face was almost worse than Taylor's. But you don't score you don't score fights based upon who had the most dramatic moment, who had the the the, the biggest most impressive moment, you know, sequence in the fight. You don't score by who had the the body language win, you know, who won the body language battle. You don't score by who how each person's face looked or who was who bled more. You score fights based upon round by round. In this particular instance, there were 10 two-minute rounds. You score each one as it's oh, there were 10 two-minute fights. Look at it that way. Okay. Each round is a two-minute fight. You score it with no preconceived expectations. You score it with zero memory of what happened before, of what preceded it. And if you did that the right way, you can absolutely make a case, a strong, strong case that Taylor edged this fight. So people out there crying robbery, this, that, the other, you're nuts. There are things that Serrano can improve on in the rematch. There are things that Taylor can improve on in the rematch. Should they do it again, which I think they should, I strongly feel that both ladies could even bring more. This could be the female version of Canelo Golovkin, all right? Except this, this decision was not controversial. There was no Adelaide Bird here. I didn't like the 7-3 scores, but if either fighter was going to get seven rounds, it was Taylor, in my, in my humble opinion. That being said, I don't think you could give either woman more than six rounds. That's just my opinion. Okay, let's talk real quick about Katie Taylor's resume. Right now, she, she is the only female boxer with more than one win against a pound-for-pound level female boxer. So what do I mean by that? She has wins over three pound-for-pound fighters right now, Serrano, uh, McCaskill, and Pursoon, right? The only other, there, there's a, a one or two of women on the list that have a win over another a pound-for-pound fighter. I think um, McCaskill has a win over Breckhus, right? For instance, but it's only one. 
Taylor has wins over three. Now, if you feel she lost the first fight to pursue, and that's fine. A lot of people do. I thought that decision was more, way more controversial than this one. But she clearly beat Pearsoon in the rematch, okay? So she has wins over three Ring Magazine-rated top 10 pound-for-pound -pound women boxers. Nobody else can claim more than one win, okay, in such a category. So she has six defenses of the undisputed lightweight championship and three wins over pound-for-pound -pound fighters as a pro. And she did all this in 21 fights. In the amateurs, she had five world championships, five golds at the AIBA World Championships. She was in two Olympics and won one gold uh, in one of the Olympics. I can't remember. I think it was 2012, maybe 2016. I can't remember. But that, that resume, you can make an argument. I'm not going to go there yet because she's an active fighter. But you can argue already that she is the greatest woman's boxer ever. And I know that drives some people crazy. But the same people telling you that Tyson Fury is the greatest heavyweight ever for having two title defenses are ignoring everything I just said about Katie Taylor. I don't know what it is about this woman that bothers some people so bad. Anyway, in terms of women's boxing, since, you know, again, to me, take the gender out of it. But if we're going to have this discussion, because men's boxing and women's boxing is two different sports. But this was a huge, huge, huge plus for women's boxing, right? Now, if we get a rematch between these two, on top of a fight between Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall, on top of a fight between Michaela Mayer and Alicia Bumgarner, well, guess what? Women's boxing will continue to thrive. Those fights need to happen over the next year. All of them. A rematch between Taylor Serrano, plus Shields versus Marshall, plus Mayer versus Bob Gardner. Those three fights happen over the next 12 months. Women's boxing going to be red hot. Now, let's really quickly talk about three-minute rounds. I talked a little bit about properly scoring fights. Oh, also, when and where should the rematch happen? Real quick, before I get into three-minute rounds. I saw some people saying, oh, man, why not, why not just go right back to the garden? Why not go right back to the garden? I understand why a lot of American fight fans are saying that. But if I'm, if I'm Katie Taylor and I'm Eddie Hearn, I'd want to put the rematch on in Ireland or maybe in London at, you know, at a big venue in London or somewhere in the UK, Manchester, wherever. I'd want to put it on the rematch over there. Guys, the champion, people are forgetting this now. Katie Taylor was the champion. She made the concessions to get this fight done. It wasn't Serrano making the concessions here, all right? Serrano had to move up and wait, although she has fought at 140 before. Suddenly, the weight thing has become an issue now with Serrano fans, too. But she had to move up. But um, Taylor came over to the United States for this fight. She didn't have to do that. She made the concession. She won the fight. Now, they want to do the rematch over in Ireland or somewhere in the UK. I'm good with that. And I think that it's their right. They've earned that right. So for people saying, no, nah, they should bring it right back to the garden. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be opposed to that or bring it to Vegas. Why? If you could do a bigger crowd over there and keep a lot of the money and everything in house over there, why wouldn't you do that? I just don't understand. Taylor won the fight. She's earned the right to do that. Now, the debate about three minute rounds. I am 100% for three-minute rounds for women. I get it. Although I got to say, 
it is pretty cool that in a 10 round, 10 round fight that are two minutes, that's 20 minutes of fighting. The women's fights like this, man, they go quick. They go real quick. So there is a benefit to that. But if we're going to go to three minute rounds, it needs to start from the ground up, guys, not from the top down. What do I mean by that? I mean, start it at, at make a, make a, uh, a declaration or whatever and say that, you know, in January 1st, 2023, all women's fights, three minutes. Give the women time to prepare um, and start with four rounders for the prospects coming out. But to ask, you know, somebody who's fought 15 years, two minute rounds to suddenly switch to three minute rounds because it appeases you and your boxing Twitter buddies. I think that's a little unfair. I want to see three minute rounds. I want to see the girls do exactly what the guys are doing. That's what I want to see. Okay. Uh, especially if people are going to bitch about equal pay and all this stuff. And most of those arguments are ridiculous. Uh, if you look at the, the dollars, the revenue that's brought in, it's night and day. But in terms of earning it and putting up the same amount of work, I'm good with 12 three-minute rounds. I am. I'm also good. I, I got to say, I was totally fine in this fight with 10 two-minute rounds. It, it didn't take anything out of it for me. But to ask championship-level fighters that have been doing this for years and years and years, 10 two-minute rounds, to suddenly switch to three minutes, um, I, I think that's, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's the best way to do it. I think the best way to do it is for these younger fighters coming in. They get started right away with their four-rounders, six-rounders. They work their way up three-minute rounds, right? And you work your way up that way so that they can get acclimated to that and build a career with three-minute rounds. If you switch it 10 years into a fighter's career, I think that's a little unfair. Um, anyway, that's the way I tend to see that. Uh, I know some of you will disagree with me, but ain't the first time. All right. I know I missed some super chats, so let me get to these super duper quick. Uh, there we go. Sam with the super chat. Thank you so much, Sam. He says, Katie reminds me of Tim Bradley. Always keep throwing hands, even when hurt, and judges give her the close rounds. Interesting interesting comparison, Sam. I don't know if I compare it to Tim Bradley, the way she boxes. But, yeah, there's a little bit of Tim Bradley in her. You know, basically, we, we, remember Tim Bradley against Ruslan Provodnikov? We saw a little bit of that from Katie in this fight. So, yeah, actually, that's an interesting comparison, man. Very interesting. Anthony Santiago with the Super Chat. Thank you, brother. He says there were five swing rounds, two clear Serrano rounds, three clear Taylor rounds. That's one more clear round was the difference. This felt like a huge fight. I even had the big fight nerves before it started. Anthony, outstanding freaking comments. I completely agree. And I got to say, I, I felt the big fight vibes too. Uh, when I heard that crowd, the coolest moment to me is uh, – when the fighters were introduced and they came to the center of the ring to touch gloves, you could hear in the mic, Amanda kind of looked at Katie and goes, dude, this is awesome. I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something like that. Like she was grinning ear to ear and just like, yo, this is amazing. Cause the crowd was going nuts. Um, you could see that Amanda was soaking in this moment because unlike Katie, who has kind of had some of the bright lights over there in her part of the world and fought in front of big crowds, nothing like this, but still, you know, Amanda's kind of had to come up the hard way, you know, fighting buried way, way deep in undercards in front of small crowds, club shows and stuff. So 
it was really, really cool to see Amanda Serrano soaking in that moment because she had earned that. She had toiled in relative obscurity for so long. And to see her soaking that in a little bit was a very, very cool moment. I, I know both women did, but especially Serrano. Very, very cool. Mark Ashley with the super chat. Thank you so much, Mark. He said, I had a 6-4. Serrano was great, but Taylor only really started to fail when she abandoned her game plan. Completely agree. Once she got back on it, she scored again. Completely agree. Completely agree. And again, that's something that the commentator, I don't want to beat up on the commentators because I like all of them. Todd is a great guy. I love Todd. Friend of the show. Uh, Jessica McCaskill, love her. And Rick Ramos, her man, trainer. Uh, they're friends of the show as well. Awesome. They just, you know, I felt, I actually thought Todd did a good job of steering them, particularly Chris, steering Chris Mannix back into reality. Todd was the best on that night by far of everybody. But um, I was really surprised that, you know, Jessica did a pretty good job, but Chris, he's there to be the analyst, right? The numbers guy and the analyst, you know, the Max Kellerman, you know, think of old HBO championship boxing, right? The, uh, the Al Bernstein equivalent over on Showtime. And dude, it's, it just wasn't there. And he kept missing things. I swear, Katie Taylor in the first three, even, even four rounds, because that fourth round was really close. Taylor might have took that. Um, she was landing right hands, and nobody noticed it. She landed a couple hard right hands that stopped Serrano right in her tracks, and nobody noticed it. And I'm just like, and it was actually Todd Grisham in some of the later rounds that was like, Katie Taylor's winning these rounds. And then Chris was like, oh, you're right, she is. You know, so thank you, Todd, for like steering them back because I, they were just kind of all over the place. Super chat from John Uden. Thank you so much, John. He says, that atmosphere Saturday reflects how Katie and Amanda have endeared themselves to their fans. Doubtful any other current women's fighters, even Shields and Marshall can do that. 100% correct. And let me add on top of that. I think Katie and Amanda have endeared themselves to their fans more than 90% of male fighters. Let's be honest. Can Shakur Stevenson or Devin Haney put on the crowd that Katie and Amanda just did? I don't think so. Don't think so. Very few men can do that. You know, there's a handful. There's Javante Davis can. Uh, there's a handful of them, but not many. For being honest, Chris Bergen went to Super Chat. Thanks, Chris. He said, when will you get some UK fighters on the show? That's, man, that's, you know what? No one's ever asked me that. I need to do that. I need to do that. And we absolutely could. Um, the only thing is, it's just really late. And a lot of fighters, they're either training at this hour over where you're at, or they're sleeping at this hour. Uh, but I would love to do that. That would be freaking awesome. I've talked to UK fighters, New Zealand fighters on my channel, but it was recorded so that I could record, you know, for a convenient time for them. But if we can make that happen, dude, we will. Because that I'd love to do that. Toreen Falk with the super chat. Thank you, Toreen. He said, is, is Mannix a basketball guy, boxing guy, or both? Great question. So he started, I believe, through basketball and really built up a profile, I think through Sports Illustrated, through basketball. But he is a boxing guy. He enjoys boxing. I know he loved, he loves boxing, but um, he, he just misses some things. There's some things that he does really well. And there's every now and then Chris has a um, 
some insights, you know, into something where I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't think of it that way. And it's interesting, but he just misses a lot of times with some of the, well, you know, my favorite word nuance. Um, there's just little things he misses that I think if you're going to have an analyst on the show, whatever broadcast you're doing, they should have at least fought some amateurs like me, you know, a, a few amateur fights, like, like a guy like me, um, they don't have to have been a pro, but the fact that I've fought a few amateur fights and, and I've been in there, I can, I understand some, I'm seeing certain things that a guy who's never, ever boxed just isn't going to see, you know, um, I'm not one of these guys that thinks, oh, you have to have been a boxer to be a commentator. I really don't believe that some of the best commentators ever never laced up gloves, Jim Lampley, for example, right? Never, never, never boxed. Um, so I don't think you need to a box to, to be a great commentator or writer, but like, if you're like the analyst dude, that's supposed to be there breaking down the action, not doing blow by blow. I'm talking about breaking down some of the science and craft that's going on and translating that for the casual observer watching on TV. I think that person should have at least a little bit of experience, man. That's just my personal opinion. All right. We got one more to review. Well, everyone's been talking about New York, right? But over in Las Vegas, there was a very, very important fight. And it did get overshadowed a little bit. And I don't want to diminish what took place. Uh, top rank uh, put on the card at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. And they did over 10,000 in attendance there. Mostly to see Oscar Valdez. It was a pro Valdez crowd. But um, that, that was a good show from top rank. Wasn't the strongest card. Wasn't a very good undercard but a very good main event where we got a, a true unification of the, the top two fighters in the division, which you don't get, particularly with young guys who have undefeated records. Shakur Stevenson improved to 18-0 with the unanimous decision win over Oscar Valdez, who suffered his first pro loss. Stevenson is now the Ring Magazine WBC WBO junior lightweight champion, and he is head and shoulders above anybody in that division. It's not even close. We were arguing this on the ring ratings committee, even, even up to today, we're still arguing it. We still don't know where we're going to rate everybody. Where does Oscar Valdez rate for you guys right now in this division? Forget about the, the drug thing for a second. Cause I know that's there and I, I get it. Take that aside for a second. I'm just talking about in terms of accomplishments, in terms of where you rate him head to head, all that good stuff. Shakur Stevenson's the champion. We know that. But everybody else, you've got Valdez, you've got Jamel Herring, you've got a few other fighters there. Where do you rate them? To me, there's not much distinction between Valdez and Herring and a few of the other top guys. Konsakau, um, right? They're all kind of right there, but I don't know how to rate them. I honestly don't. I just know that Shakur Stevenson is a full level above all of them. All of them. And he proved that in this fight. Dropped Valdez in the sixth round. It was a flash knockdown. Valdez was off balance. There was a little bit of a push. But a punch landed, legit knockdown. But it, it's not like he hurt Valdez. Now, during my preview last week, I said, hey, Stevenson might be able to score a late stoppage here where the ring doctor comes in, there's a cut or something, or, or the, uh, the ref stops it. Never got close to that. Um, Valdez took some hard shots, but... Stevenson just never really hurt him that badly to where it needed to be stopped at all. So Valdez took him the distance, but didn't win more than what, two, three rounds, if we're being honest. 
One thing that stood out to me was the massive size difference. Stevenson looked like a welterweight. He really did. I, I don't know how this kid makes 130, but he has really grown into his body and matured. Um, he's really started to hit his physical prime as a man now. He's hitting those th that man strength now, and you see it. He bullied Valdez all around this ring, man. Outlanded Valdez in 11 of the 12 rounds. I think it was only the third round, which was a big round for Valdez, where he outlanded Stevenson. But uh, Stevenson made adjustments when he needed to and controlled this fight. By the way, adjustments. I forgot to mention that in New York. Let me ask you guys out there that are, are just, you, you know, you cannot go against the, the notion that Amanda Taylor uh, lost, lost, won the fight. I keep saying Amanda Taylor. Jesus, I'm all over the place today. Amanda Serrano. Who made adjustments in that fight in New York? Was it Amanda Serrano or Katie Taylor? There's only one right answer, and that's Katie Taylor. That's who made adjustments in that fight. Serrano did the same thing in the 10th round that she did in the first round. She never changed. Taylor made adjustments throughout that fight. If you don't believe me, watch it again. Back to Las Vegas. Uh, so Stevenson, the clear, clear number one fighter at 130, and now the legitimate champion at 130. Uh, also on the other card, I think a future multi-division champion, Keyshawn Davis was featured, looked great. And Nico Walsh, both of those guys scored stoppage wins, all right? <clears throat> Let me get a quick drink of water. Doing a lot of talking. All right. Oh, man, what a loaded review. Okay. Real quick, let's do this preview, and then I will get to some calls. We have a ton of people on the line. So I'll try to get through this quick. Saturday, May 7th, Matchroom Boxing is back. There's that Matchroom Boxing again. <clears throat> T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas, the zone pay-per-view. Boo. I don't have a boo thing here on my soundboard. I need a boo button. I hate that this is pay-per-view. I, I hate it. Canelo Alvarez versus Dimitri Bevel, who comes in 19-0 with 11 knockouts. Uh, of course, this is for Bevel's WBA light heavyweight title. Um, here's the thing about Bevel. He had a great run there in 2018-2019 against Sullivan Barrera, Isaac Chalemba, Jean Pascal, and Joe Smith Jr. Great run. Won all four of those fights pretty clearly. He took one big shot from Smith in their fight, but pretty much dominated those fights, right? 2020, 2021, his, his opposition's been lackluster. Nothing that's going to prepare him for Canelo Alvarez. Nothing. And I think that's really going to hurt him in this fight. I do think Bevel has the size, the strength, the maybe not the experience, um, he definitely doesn't have the experience at this level. These lights are going to be very, very bright. But he has the size and the skills, the athleticism, to go the distance. I see a distance fight here. But I just think Canelo is going to win by decision. And I could talk about Canelo, Vegas, it's really hard to win a decision against him and all that. Good. I'm not even going to go there, okay? Just in terms of X's and O's, Bevel does one thing and he does it very, very, very well. But it's one thing, kind of like Serrano. Canelo can do several different things, and he can do them very well, kind of like Taylor. It's just how I see this fight playing out, uh, even more so the level between these two. I like Canelo in this fight, maybe 116, 112, maybe even 117, 111. 
It's not that I don't think Beevil has a chance, because I do. It's just that if you want to talk to me about this in 2020, following Beevil's run of the four fighters I mentioned, I, that's what I really thought Beevil could win this fight. But now, Canelo has settled into his weight. He's been fighting guys. Look, Billy Joe Saunders, <coughs> Caleb Plant, Callum Smith, they're not world beaters. They're not Hall of Fame level guys, but they're better than the guys Beevil's been fighting. Let's be honest. Smith fought, um, Callum Smith fought Lennon Castillo. I, I think that's who uh, Beevil fought in Chicago a couple years ago, right? And he flattened him. So I actually think Canelo's recent opposition, although I don't think very highly of it, it's clearly a step above Beevil's recent opposition. Momentum matters in this game, guys. Momentum matters. So I like Canelo by a fairly wide decision here. Also on this card, uh, this is an underrated card. I, I, look, Philip Hergovich versus Z Zalei Zhang, uh, heavyweights, 12 rounds. That's a fun heavyweight matchup. Now, I don't think a whole lot of Zhang. I do think a lot more of Hergovich, but these are two undefeated, big, strong heavyweights. So I think that's going to be a fun fight. And I want to see it. Also, prospects, uh, Montana Love, a really, a really good-looking prospect at 140 pounds. I've seen him fight up close. The kid's got something. Shakram Giasov, uh, a welterweight prospect who's really, really good-looking. Uh, I don't mean attractive-wise. I mean, looks good as a prospect. And Joselito Velasquez, flyweight, really good-looking prospect. So there's some nice prospects on this card. The heavyweight co-feature, it's not bad. All that being said, I hate that this is a freaking pay-per-view. Oh, Jack Alter in the chat says Zhang Hergovich was called off. Oh, wow. Wow, I did not know that. Well, let's look this up. <clears throat> I'm going to see if I can find something on this. I'm going to Google it real quick. Yes. Wow. Look at this, guys. Let me share my screen here. Well, you know what? Then I take back a lot of what I just said. This card sucks. This card is shit. Not that this was a huge, huge fight, but I was looking forward to it. Uh, let's see. Philip Hergovich withdraws from IBF Eliminator with Zhang Zaleh on Canelo Bivo undercard. <laughs> Why? It just says he's withdrawn. And yeah, the winner of this fight would be the IBF mandatory for the winner of the rematch between Usyk and Joshua which we knew that, but um, wow. All right. Hergovich's father reportedly died in April, early in April. His father's death is believed to be the reason Hergovich was unable to concentrate on training and ultimately withdrew from his fight with Zalei. Well, listen, as a guy who's recently gone through a family member's death, I am not going to judge the man for that. If that's the legitimate reason, not going to judge the man for that because that is serious shit, serious shit. And you guys know what I've been through recently. It was very hard for me to concentrate on my fight last year, which was, you know, nothing on this level, of course, not to make this about me. I'm just saying I can relate. It was very difficult to concentrate and to fight well and be sharp uh, with my brother's death still on my mind. So, and, you know, my brother had been dead for, months and months, nearly a year at that point. If Hergovich's father literally died just a month ago, um, 
you know, that's very, very recent. So I ain't going to judge the man for that one bit. So thank you guys for letting me know that. Cause I did not see that man did not see that. Okay. <clears throat> Chris says, RIP Anthony. Thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate that brother. It hasn't even been two years. That's what's crazy. It feels like it's been five years already. It's been about a year and a half, which is just insane to me. It still bothers me every day. On that note, let's uh, let's go to the phones. And guys, we have a bunch. So you're going to have to get to it. I want two-minute rounds, not three-minute rounds, all right? Get to it quick. Okay. Let's jump up to Waterbury, Connecticut with Anthony Santiago, I think, on the show. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, what's up, Mike? Uh, and hopefully yeah. everyone can hear you and p- guys in the chat please let us know if you can hear anthony okay hopefully you can hey. you can hear me yeah i can hear you bro i hear you loud and clear man oh okay okay yeah so i'll make it quick and i'll skip like uh the reviews and all that since you already took care of that i wanted to give my prediction for the canelo uh Bevo fight okay and this may so it may sound crazy, but I'm going with Jack Alter here. He's been going for Bevo for a while. Yep. And I think so I think Bevo's jab is gonna trouble Canelo a lot. He doesn't have a soft jab, he has like a piston jab. So I think that's gonna be huge. And then I I just have questions about, you know, how much how how much better has Canelo really gotten since uh since Triple G too, because he, hmm. to me, he was kind of losing that Kovalev fight. It was like really close. Yeah. And all Kovalev did the entire fight was just throw a jab. And point. it was like a sparring match. And, uh, I mean, it's hard to judge him off the two, like the Billy Joe Saunders and Caleb Plant. So I don't really know how much better Canelo has gotten. And if, He's going to have trouble with Bevo's jab. And then I also, I've been paying attention to Bevo's training. And uh, I saw some of Steve Kim's videos with him. And then some interviews with Joel uh, Diaz. And I think Bevo is really up for this fight. He is. And I think this is going to be an extremely tough fight that Canelo might have regretted taking. Uh, I think you give the edge to Canelo just because of activity. But I would not. Uh, I think Bevo's going to, at least in the eyes of the fans, you know how the judging goes, uh, I think Bevo's going to pull it off. All right, you're on the record, man. If you, Hey, I love a great upset special. If Bevo pulls it off, man, I will give <laughs> you credit. I'll give Jack Alter credit because you, you, you guys have been calling it, so you're on the record. All right, yeah, and I'll be here Monday. I won't be hiding if he loses. <laughs> All right, man. Cool. All right. Well, that was it. All Thanks. Right. Thanks a lot, man. All right. There he goes. We'll keep it moving. That was great. Right to it, man. Right to it. We'll go right into the next call. I think this is Thad. What's up, Thad? How you doing, man? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Mike. Uh, who was the referee for Stevenson and uh, Valdez? Oh, God. Kenny Bayless. Ugh. Don't oh, get me started. Oh, was it? Because I thought it was uh, Richard Steele. <laughs> because it seems this guy has gotten so political that you can just predict how the guy's going to call the fight. Now, just so people don't think I'm biased, 
I had one-fifth of my annual salary on Stevenson in this fight. I thought it was a foregone conclusion. I didn't even have to watch the fight. I watched it a day later. Okay? That's how confident I was. I was still, you know, watching the Taylor fight because I did have a lot of money on Taylor, and I thought that was a, you know, fight that could go either way. So my heart was beating out of my chest, okay? But he is so political, allowing low blows and dirty um, push-off maneuvers, like glove raking to the face. This guy should never referee another boxing match unless it's like uh, an amateur uh, novice kids match. It's, it's so unprofessional anymore. I just can't believe how people aren't even, you know, talking about him anymore. No, it's, well, it's, it goes beyond ridiculous. People were beating him up on Twitter. Okay. I, I, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and, and just for the sake of non-redundancy, I, I, I want to just give my prediction on the Canelo fight. I think, I think uh, Bivol is going to win the event. Okay, I don't think he's going to win the fight. I think the decision is going to go to Canelo, but I think it's going to be controversial to say the least and we might get a rematch instead of the Golovkin fight in September if that's possible that's my prediction I predict the Canelo win but it's going to be very controversial so buyer beware on that if you're betting the fight Canelo is is a very valuable minus uh between minus 120 and minus 180 to win by decision I think that's such a great bet to make in this fight. So it's or you could take odds on a draw. Cause if Biv- could you just explain what that means? Just What's for, that? The, for the novice gamblers out there. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, so if it's a uh, minus minus one twenty, if you put $120 up on Canelo by decision, you'll win a hundred, you'll profit a hundred bucks. You'll, you'll cast your ticket and you'll get $220 back. If you put a hundred dollars on them or 120 on them. Right. So that's how those odds work. He's little less than two to one uh, favor to win by decision. Canelo's minus 450 to win the fight straight up. I don't think he can knock out Bivol. Mm-hmm. I, I think Bivol has an extra level toughness to, uh, to take anything that he throws at him. Um, so with that being said, be very careful if you're betting the fight. There's some valuable props on the fight that I think you can make money on. Um, not like this weekend. This, 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 week, this is what I wanted to call last week because it was literally the parlay of the year. Stevenson and Taylor by decisions. I can't even tell you. I got amazing returns on that. How much did you make? Uh, What did you make last weekend? Uh, I don't want to discuss just in the fives, <laughs> the fives, but I spent, but I'll tell you what, my tax bill was, was that as well. And, and basically paying for my, my taxes for last year. And uh, the thing is with um, Taylor, it was, she was uh plus one seventy five to win by decision. And, uh, Stevenson was minus 200 to win by decision at fight time. And, and those odds on Stevenson grew to 10 to one minus 1000 at, at, at the time of the fight. So people that are out there saying that Stevenson did something amazing. Now he won a fight. He was supposed to fight, uh, win. It was a showcase fight. Top rank knew what they were doing. It was a a 31 year old Valdez who is, is at best uh, a featherweight and Stevenson who is technically a welterweight fighting at 130, kind of like Oscar De La Hoya when he fought uh, Rafael Ruelas in the La Batalla fight. Mm. Everyone thought that was going to be a, a test and a, and, and, a, and a unification or whatever, and, and De La Hoya just blew him out completely. That's kind of what this this fight was. 
top rank knows what they're doing. They know how to manage fighters and place them in positions where they can really maximize their star fighters results. So always remember that, you know, if it looks too good to be true, it usually is. And, uh, this weekend it's, it's kind of the same deal with, with, with Canelo. They wouldn't have put him in there with Bivol unless they really knew that Bivol really had no shot. That's what I think. I think Bivol is going to surprise a lot of people, but he doesn't, he doesn't have that Baturbiev or Joe Smith type power that, that concussive power that could change a fight. And I think he can, he can get Canelo's respect. I just don't think he can knock him out. Triple G couldn't knock out Canelo. Nobody's knocking him out. Yeah. Maybe Paterbia, but that's for another day. And uh, the fight between him and Joe Smith is going to be fight of the year. I'm going to try to, to make that fight. I just hate New York City nowadays. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy in there anymore, oh, going yeah. into the city. So, yeah. So, Mike, I'm going to let you go. Uh, hopefully, you know, you could have a, a Friday show or I will. I will. whatnot. We could. Yeah. Really discuss boxing. I want I want your other callers to call in and uh, and talk about what they think coming up. And by the way, Joe, um, Joe Joyce just signed on to fight Parker oh, I love in, a, it. In, a, in a month or two. That's a great fight. Yeah, I I love Joe Joyce in that fight. So you too. Just put that out there. So have a good one. Good stuff, brother. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right, we're gonna keep it rolling. We're gonna go to the next one. I think we got another Anthony here from San Antonio on the show. What's up? Hey, what's up, Mike? How's it going? Good, man. How are you? Hey, good, 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 good breakdown. Uh, let's talk politics here. You know, let's talk a little politics. Um, right. you, it, I, I agree with what you say with the commentators. The, the way I see it these days is they got us locked in. They know it. It's for the casuals. They're trying to get the casuals in. So the stuff we roll our eyes at, the casuals are probably like, really? You know, so um, that that is, it is what it is. But it was interesting hearing Taylor's story, how I'm not sure, I, I don't know the whole story about her having to say that she was a boy when she was in Ireland. Yeah, it was to a, be able to illegal for her to box, man. It was illegal. Yeah, and and I think, I think she's going to have a, a really cool movie about her one of these days. It's just, I mean, I, I was really happy to see the different dynamics with, you know, the female boxing. I mean, I would, I always look at the crowd. I watch the fight and I watch the crowd and it was different for, for it, it, things. The roles will reverse. I saw the males kind of sitting there clapping, having a good time and the females up, jumping, dancing, like really into it, you know, on another level when it's usually the other way around, usually the men, you know, they're drinking beer, having a good time, you know, rooting for the male fighters. And the females are there clapping, you know, but it was funny seeing that. And we also saw, like, you saw these, like, little old white ladies in the first couple of rows jumping up and down and and cheering when these, these women were going back and forth. And I was just like, man, that's cool. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just like Jake Paul. It was Jake something Paul, different, dude. It, 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 it was, like, it was like a different feel, like I it, said earlier. Yeah, exactly. And boxing needs all the help it can get these days because, uh, unfortunately, we're back into this Mayweather-Pacquiao, tribalistic type stuff. This time with Bud and and um, Crawford, and I got sucked into it. I got to stop doing that on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's it, it's just like and it, and it goes on to the Shakur. You know, I I I don't I think the odds are against him. I know he wants to be the next Floyd. 
But what Floyd had in his favor is he was knocking people out when he was at that weight. When True. when Floyd was coming up, he had Oscar, who was a megastar, a crossover star, to bounce his name off of and beat. Uh, we had Kodo. We had Mosley. We had, we had all these guys. But had me, Gotti. Canelo is the last. Yeah, I mean, Canelo is the last crossover star. So yeah. I don't see how these, these, these youngsters think they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna just mimic that. And also, when I was watching boxing at that time, boxing was the, the premier fight sport. Now you have UFC. UFC is putting on shows every single weekend. And what's boxing doing? Putting on pay-per-views every single weekend on apps. And you really have to do your homework and how to watch it. Yep. And that, that that's just why I don't think it's going to work. You know what I mean? So there's so many different dynamics with that. Um, I don't know. What's your take on that? I think you're making great points. Yeah. I mean, for, for Stevenson, he's really, really effective. He's really, really dominant, but I agree with what Thad, the previous caller said, top rank knows what they're doing. They matched him at Herring at the perfect time. I felt they <clears throat> cashed out on Valdez at the perfect time. They knew what they're doing, but what names does he have that where he can like really cross over because his style isn't that exciting. It's dominant, but it's not very exciting TV. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's just that's that's why I think we're, we're in a spot we've never been in before. And before, also, I think the loss of HBO was huge, a huge blow because with the casuals, I mean, that's how I started watching boxing. They just had yeah. they just commanded that that um that I don't know that attention. You know, they have just that they had the right feel and everything, and it was really the the pinnacle. So now you got. CBC, you got the, the the Zone app, you got I mean, you just got Fox, you got all these different avenues, and like I said, it, it's too hard to keep up with. And casuals, if you make, if you have them follow two, they have to make two steps to watch a fight. You lost them. You already lost them. They're yeah. they're watching UFC by then. That's just that's, that's just point. how it goes. But no, I, I I appreciate it, man. Hopefully, hopefully Crawford Spence fight. My my prediction is that it's going to take them at least a trilogy to find out who is. Who is the best? And I think it's already kind of late for that because they're already in their 30s and we don't even know if they're going to fight. And the back and forth is just horrible. I mean, uh, it's just, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's called a win to that, but uh, I'll, I'll end with that because I know that's, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Yeah, I'm aware of it, but you're right. I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole right now. <clears throat> I appreciate it, bro. Good stuff, man. All right. Thank you, dude. Uh, you too. We got a super chat from Mendeli. Thank you, Mandeli. I appreciate it, man. He says, hey, Montero, will the Baturbi of Smith unification be for the Ring Magazine light heavyweight title? Is it worthy or not? So here's the situation right now, okay? Right now we have Baturbi of rated number one. We have Bevel rated number two. We have Smith rated number three. We got to see what plays out this weekend. Depending on what happens this weekend, the ratings may shuffle. Now, if it ends up being... After this weekend, that Baturbiev is number one and Smith is number two, then it will be for the ring belt, right? So there hasn't been a decision made yet, uh, I don't believe, on that because there's unfinished business right now with Dimitri Bevo, who's currently rated number two, okay? So depending on what plays out this weekend, it may affect whether Baturbiev Smith is for the ring belt. I hope that makes sense. <clears throat> All right, back to the phones, guys. I'm going to try to get through as many of these as I can, okay? I think this is Jack. Jack, what's up, man? 
Hey, what's up? Um, you know, I was going to start off with a Katie Taylor impression, but I kind of felt bad doing it because she seems like a good person and her, she's kind of getting. Her um, voice is rough, bro. Her voice is rough. Do you want to hear it? Do you want to? Do, do you want me to try it at least? Go ahead. Her, go for her, it. Uh, impression. Give us ten seconds. Go. Uh, hi, I'm Michael Montero. My name's Katie Taylor. I just wanted to thank Amanda Serrano because. That's actually so, pretty yeah, good. No, no, that's, that, good. That's not bad. You got to add a, a little more <laughs> listen to it. Add a little more hoarseness. And then pursuit. Oh God. No, nah, but no, nah, but there, dude. Anyone saying that fight was a robbery? Okay, first of all, close fights aren't robberies. And Katie Taylor won too many of the later rounds and too many of the early rounds to uh, to lose. Like I can't even see Serrano winning six, five. Yeah, I had it seven three. I know you said it's a little wide, but I had the first four for Taylor, and then I had uh, I think. Seven, yeah, seven, eight, and nine. Seven, eight, nine, and then the first four for Katie Taylor. So, uh, you know, I know, I know you said I don't like to disagree with you a lot because you're right most of the time. But dude, I thought Katie Taylor was in control this fight most of the time, and uh, she was way more accurate. She was boxing very, very well, mm-hmm. and I just don't see what all the like fuss is about. I mean, I thought Katie Taylor clearly won this fight. I agree with you. I, I thought, other than that fifth round which was huge, obviously, for, for Serrano. Every other round was close and competitive, and Taylor edged the majority of them, in my opinion. She just did the better boxing. So I agree, bro. Yeah, no, and the thing about women's boxing is, dude, Jake Paul, I got to give him a shit ton of props. I mean, you know, I've been involved in the social media thing, more involved than you you know, because I'm, like, younger and I, I know all these people. Mm-hmm. And that's not trying to be disrespectful. No, like, you know, you, I knew, I've you. known the Paul. Yeah, uh, but uh, props to Jake Paul. I mean, dude, this fight was so awesome. Like, my dad and I, I, I woke him up to watch it. He's like, I don't want to see two women fight. And he was like, holy shit. Like, this is actually really good because a lot of women fight just throwing punches, just one, two, one, two, one, two. You know what I mean? They just throw punches at like most women fights are just throwing punches, like standing in the pocket, just throwing one twos at each other, just eating punches. A- am I wrong there? That's most women's fights. No, I think you're right. In fact, I wouldn't even say one two. I would say it's not even a, a solid one two. I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick, but th- there's a lot of <laughs> 1.5. Yeah, yeah. There was uh, who Marlon Esparza, who I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but she had a title fight recently and I watched it and you know, it, it, it just, it was a sloppy yeah, performance. I, she didn't look like an elite level fighter to me. She just didn't. No. Yeah. And dude, they look like men fighting. I was saying to myself, as yes. soon as the first bell rung, Katie Taylor, her positioning Footwork. and Amanda Serrano, they're fighting like men. Yes. 100%, you know what I mean? 100%. They were, fight, they were, yeah, they were fighting like men. And I was like, damn, this is a good ass fight though. But I'm glad. I hope they both got a really good paycheck. They're both warriors. One mistake that Katie Taylor made was I feel like she's never been hit like that. Like, I mean, has she ever been hurt? I haven't seen many of her fights. I would assume not. Not like that. But she just, I think she just, yeah, she just wanted to show she was tough, which was so stupid. Mm -hmm. Dude, she was getting pummeled. And the fact she stood up was really impressive, though, because she took so many flush punches to the face. Yeah, that's another thing that a lot of people are kind of just glancing over. They're talking about Serrano had this big moment, and if that was a three-minute round, you know, she would have got the knockout. Well, how about Katie Taylor standing up to that? 
and and forget about gender. Most fighters, regardless of gender, would not have made it out of that round. Period. Even if it was just two minutes, and she did. I think she just. And not only that, she won the second half of the fight and busted up Serrano's face. Exactly. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what she's gonna do to impress people, but I was impressed. Yeah, okay, then I want to get to the Shakur, then the uh, Bivol Canelo fight. I know you got a lot of calls. I do, bro. Uh, but, um, <laughs> round it yeah, off. Boom, boom, boom. boom. Thing about, <clears throat> yeah, one more thing about the Katie Taylor fight and the, uh, Amanda Serrano. Props to both of them. I'm really glad they got that attention. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Jake Paul, like he's even fucking keen star. I know you probably don't know who that is, but people who are total casuals, just social media, YouTuber influence around those people, Dude, they were talking about the fight, and I was like, they really got fucking Team Star, like, uh, tweeting about this shit. So, I mean, it's really glad to, I'm really glad to see it, and I'd love to see a rematch. Okay, anyways, uh, Shakur Stevenson, Oscar Valdez. Dude, Shakur looked great, but, and I, I think he's a top 10 pound for pound fighter, like, skill wise, but I still think that there's guys at 135 that could beat him. Like, I think Lomachenko would beat him. I don't know. I don't know what Loma has left at this point, but it would be obviously his toughest fight. I think a prime Lomachenko smokes him, but this Loma, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting because Shakur, uh, there was two rounds in the fight where Oscar Valdez decided to like fight back at his throw. I think it was it was definitely round three, and I think it was round ten. Two rounds he clearly won. So it was like a 10-2 type fight. And, dude, it reminded me a lot of Tiafimo versus Lomachenko. <laughs> except, you know, uh, Oscar never came back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It really struck me that. Because he was so cautious. But, dude, uh, uh, Shakur's defense impressed me so much. He had amazing defense. Like, uh, I was so surprised how calm he was in the way that uh, he was able to mix in his defense and offense if you look at a guy like canelo canelo has never been able to move his head in those sequences while throwing punches if you notice all the best head movement moments by canelo it's when he's not punching and he's only focused on moving his head that's true uh, shakur is just perfect at relaxing and moving away from punches and dude i was just really impressed but uh yeah a uh, great fight a uh, great fight this weekend and here we go baby here we go Canelo versus Bivol. So I've had a feeling about this fight for probably uh, however long Canelo has been, however long Bivol has been like successful. And I don't think it's changed. I know you changed your mind, but I was watching back some of his old fights and it seems like a lot of the guys didn't want to engage with him. Like all the newer guys he fought didn't want to engage with him the way like John Pascal or Joe Smith Jr. did. And Dimitri Bibble reminds me a lot of Vladimir Klitschko in the sense that if he's winning, he's just going to coast to a victory and he's not going to try to get the knockout. He's, and he fights kind of on the level of the opposition, to the level of the opposition. So, you know, it was, uh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I just got a text from uh, whatchamacallit, Christian. Uh, anyways, uh, so Canelo Bivol, I'm telling you, dude, I've had this, uh, this, this feeling in my heart and my head. I just don't see Canelo winning this. 
Bibble is such a good fighter. He's in his prime, 31 years old. He's been working on his strength. And I think he's definitely going to show up the fight. And dude, I could even see him because you cannot tell me that Bibble isn't a really hard puncher. Hard enough, but like he coached hard enough, but I, I don't think I, I agree with Thad. I don't think Bevel can stop Canelo. I mean, in theory, anyone can stop anyone, but I don't see that. I see a distance fight here. Okay, okay. So the guys that have gone the distance with uh, Bivol, Isaac Columba. Do you think any? Who the hell is going to knock him out, dude, dude? The only guy that like stopped him was Alexander Bozic due to a hand injury. Dude went twelve rounds with Prime Kovalev. Went. 12 rounds with a later Alvarez, like a uh, beat Tony Bellew. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember. Right. Th- that dude's extremely hard to knock out. Joe Smith jr. John Pascal. Those guys are extremely hard to knock out. And, uh, dude, Bibble, I just see his style styles make fights. And dude, it's literally the worst style possible. I always said, there's no way Canelo can beat Bibble. Cause uh, people are saying, you know, the scorecards like that is like a, it's going to be controversial. I mean, if you win enough rounds against Canelo, there's simply no way they can rob. Like Mayweather, he won too many rounds against them to be robbed. I think it's going to look like that, and he might even stop Canelo late due to his combination punching. Uh, and, you know, Canelo, he's so used to, you know, 20 seconds. Fighters 20 seconds. To... Yo, what the fuck? 20 Dude, seconds. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll Dude, I've, I've cut everybody okay, off uh, in about three minutes. You've been on for almost 10, Jack. 20 seconds, baby. Let's okay, go. Okay, I'll just say, uh, everyone bet your money on Bivol. He's going to win. Period. Yeah, right. the record. And you'll see. And you get to rub it in Period. if you're right. Hey, hey, hey. You get to rub it in Monday if you're right. Wait, wait. My exact prediction is Bivol knockout round 11. All right. That's right. There it is. Like I said, it was the Usyk fight. There you go. All right, Mike. All Sorry right, for Jack. taking so long. You guys have a good night. Jack's like, what the fuck? Jack, you've been on three times as long as everybody else. All right. uh, Trey asked a a great question, and I want to hit on this real quick before I jump. Nacho's next, okay? So, Nacho, hang on. I'm going to get to you next. Trey asked, Mike, can you talk about the weight post by Jake Paul? So, uh, for those of you who are not on Twitter, Jake Paul posted a video that he claims Amanda Serrano sent to a friend, okay? And that friend sent it to Jake and Jake posted it on social. It's a video with Amanda in the bathroom with a guy. I can hear a guy's voice that's filming it. I don't know who the hell it is. Um, But she's talking about, you know, I'm really a featherweight, um, and she jumps on a scale, and she's, I think, 133 and some change, right? So, and it's basically, that's what she weighed in at for this fight. So I don't know exactly when she filmed this. I, I know it was at some point, Sunday, the day after the fight, but was it first thing Sunday morning? Was it Sunday night? I, I I really don't know. It really, it literally could have been just a few hours after the fight because you guys got to think East Coast time. By the time that fight's over, they're getting back to the hotel. It's Sunday morning. Okay. My thing is this: you were just in a ten round fight. You might have weighed one thirty eight going into the ring and sweat off five pounds. Okay, but I'm not even going to get into all that uh, because I know for me. When I go to the gym or I go for a run, I easily drop five pounds sometimes just in sweat, just in water weight. Now I'm much bigger than Amanda, but you get the picture, okay? Either way, I think Jake Paul did her no favors by tweeting that. It's unnecessary. 
it, there's no reason for Serrano, and it wasn't Serrano posting this, okay? It was Jake Paul. I want to be clear about that. So I'm not trying to beat up on Serrano. By the way, Amanda doesn't run her Twitter account. Somebody else runs it. She doesn't run her social media at all. That's not her tweeting and posting stuff. That's people who handle her stuff doing that. But Jake Paul did her no favors because it takes away from the event. The excuses, talking about, oh, it should have been three-minute rounds. Oh, uh, we, we, we really were a featherweight moving up in weight. Just shut up about all that crap. It just takes away from it all. And the truth is, Amanda has fought as high as 140. She won a belt at 140, a world title at 140, okay? So fighting Katie Taylor at 135, she agreed to that. Two-minute rounds, she agreed to that. Katie Taylor, again, who was the champion, agreed to come over and fight a Puerto Rican in New York, okay? Outside of Florida, I can't think of an area of America with more Puerto Ricans than New York City. So you're an Irish person agreeing to fly to America to fight a Puerto Rican fighter in New York. Come on. She's fighting Amanda in her backyard. So both fighters made some concessions here. I would argue, based upon all the history, that Taylor made the bigger concession. So I, I just think that Jake did her no favors by tweeting that. And that was just a stupid move by Jake Paul. John Uden with another super chat. Thank you so much, bro. He said, people forget Canelo is still only 31 himself. Totally right, man. That, that's why Canelo is able to do what he's been doing right now, fighting these bigger guys and everything. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think that um, he's still in his physical prime, clearly. And he's kind of been able to wait out some of these older dudes. Anthony Santiago says, uh, Amanda Taylor said she doesn't even have a cell phone. Yeah, that's kind of hard to believe. Kind of hard to believe. But I do know she does not run her social media. All right, back to the phones, guys. Again, we'll get through as many of these as possible. Right now, we're going to hand it over to Nacho and hear what he's got to say. Hey, Mike, what's going on? Just uh, real quick, I'm just going to talk about the couple fights. Um with Toronto Taylor, I honestly think, Mike, the biggest thing was just that, um, like I told you on the Twitter I sent earlier, I think Serrano is going to end up kicking herself because of the fact that she had her chance to take out Taylor in the fifth round. She missed out on the opportunity to do that. And then basically from that point on, she allowed Taylor to get her second win, come back, and then take the majority of the rounds at the end. And that's why she was able to win the fight. I think if she had been able to take out Taylor in the fifth round, like she had her hurt and dazed and completely out of it, I think we're talking about Serrano right now being the undisputed uh, light uh, weight champion. But she blew it. And right now she's kind of, you know, with that uh, post uh, on Twitter, she's kind of giving uh, sour grapes out there about the whole situation, kind of trying to, you know, make excuses and she shouldn't she put up a hell of a fight and this doesn't hurt her status at all i think eventually she's gonna get the rematch or if not she'll get another big fight against somebody i mean you know so i think she should have just been classy about it moved on and then you know let it be because there was no reason for her to comment on the whole weight gate like you said you know just let the fight stand for itself you don't need to say or do anything regarding that the, the situation um and then with uh valdez 
Stevenson. My biggest issue with Valdez was just, I don't know if it was him or whether it was the, uh, Reynoso or whoever, that idea of telling Valdez to just stand in the middle and not really use a jab to set up his shots and not really try to, you know, move side to side and kind of give angles and, and you know, give Shakur something of a moving target. That was just horrible. Like, I, I couldn't believe he was just standing in front of the guy, letting him just tee off most of the fight. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, there's no way you're going to win this fight. Literally standing in front of the guy, telling him to hit you. Like, you know, it, it made no sense. Like, that style was not going to work. And it was evident. And um, the only shot he really landed all night was that straight right that he would throw yeah, at times. Right. And he was able to land. Yeah, yeah the lead right. That was the only thing he was really able to land consistently all night. Everything else was just kind of, you know, uh, every once in a while he would throw a, a body shot that landed, but that was about it. I mean, uh, Shakur negated his offense, like, r as well as you can negate someone's offense. The biggest thing was just the size disparity, Mike. Shakur looked like a damn junior middleweight in there, and Valdez looked like he, I don't think he might have put on maybe five or six pounds after the weigh-in. The, the size difference was just massive. And, and you could see that that's why nothing that Valdez was able to land clean even hurt uh, Stevenson. Like, he just kind of shrugged it off like it was no big deal. So, you know, I, I give him credit. He won that fight clearly. There was no way that, you know, uh, Valdez uh, was going to win that fight. Um, to me, I keep hearing this thing about him saying he wants to unify 130. I really don't see the sense in it, Mike, because the other two guys who hold the belt, he's going to beat them easily, whether it's Roger Gutierrez or whether it's uh, uh, Kenshi Ogawa who holds the IBF belt. Neither of those guys brings any kind of notoriety to Stevenson. They're just guys. So I think he, he beats those guys and he can unify, but in reality, he's not going to get the, the accolades that he wants. I think, honestly, he's not going to start to get that until he moves up to 35 and then starts taking on some of the more well-known guys uh, at this point. Because at 130, he's head and shoulders above pretty much everybody, in my opinion. So, you know, we'll see. And then just real quick with um, the Canelo Bivol, I just hope it's a good fight, Mike. It's going to be an interesting matchup as far as can Bivol stay the classic one-two, stay outside boxer, really try to limit how much uh, he engages, you know, get in and out with his shots? Or is Canelo going to do to him what he did to Caleb Plant? Kind of let him build his confidence, let him think he's setting traps, let him think he's hitting Canelo and, you know, winning the fight. And then eventually, as the fight wears on, Canelo wears him down. And then eventually either wins a wise, you know, wins a close decision, or who knows, maybe even he stops him. But that's what's intriguing about the fight, and I just hope it ends up being a good fight. Uh, that's my call, Mike. All right, thanks, Nacho. Good stuff, man. All right, man. Yeah, I thanks. Agree. I hope it's a good fight. I hope that um, – I just hope there's no controversy. God, I just – you know, I'm trying to be positive and not think that way. If there is, you know, we'll talk about it Monday, guys. Uh, let's go right back to these phones, man. And we're going to 631. You are on the show. What's up? Hey, Mike, it's Keith Yasun Seta. How's it going? What's up, Keith? How you doing, man? 
Good, good, good. Um, I'll be pretty quick. I know you got a lot on the phone. Got a few people on the phone. Um, so I didn't get the call last week uh, just with the, the audio uh, stuff, but I just wanted to give my feedback on the Fury, um, Fury fight um, and his standing and everything. Obviously, it was a really good fight. Uh, Fury showed many levels. Top, top heavyweight. I think part of me thinks that he's duck, he might be ducking Usyk or doesn't want the fight because he's faded multiple, he's faded multiple times in the past. He just doesn't like the style of a smaller heavyweight who's kind of agile, kind of like when uh, Steve Cunningham gave him issues right. previously when they first fought. That's actually ironically when I became a Fury fan because I was rooting against him. Then he sang afterwards, and I was like, "Oh, this guy, this guy's a character." <laughs> um, but I hate to see him retire and not take on the winner of Joshua Usyk um, because if he does that right now, I'm a I'm a Fury fan. I'll say that he is not in the top ten greatest heavyweights of all time. Personally, in my opinion, I think you can make him top 20, arguably, um, just because just because he beat Klitschko. He's the best of our era so far. But um, there's a difference between being the greatest of all time but beating any of the other great heavyweights on any given night because with his style, his size, his speed, and everything, I think he can trouble anyone. Agreed. So that's in regards to Fury. Um, and then... The Valdez Shakur Stevenson fight, I think Shakur Stevenson, like Nacho said, he's really going to kind of step into his own when he gets up to 135, just because the other two title holders, they don't, they don't really, they don't move the needle. They don't have a lot of notoriety and, you know, no one knows who they are, who they are. Um, he's the only chink I see in his armor is that he kind of pulls straight back. He's susceptible to a straight right hand. So someone like if Tiafimo Lopez stays around or, Anyone at 135, you know, Ryan Garcia, if he can pull the trigger, can kind of tag him. Um, but he's, his dude's defense is, is great. Um, it's, it's, it's really good. He's kind of Mayweather asking that, where his defense, he, he can stand around and find you, make a miss, make the other person miss, but he wasn't a killer at 130 pounds like Mayweather was. Um, and yeah, Kenny Bellis was pretty, pretty incompetent in that fight. He was just, he kept warning him about the low blows and, and the raking and all that stuff, and he didn't do anything. <clears throat> Um, there's like a thousand warnings and the, he never took a point i'm like jesus dude it was really frustrating to watch yeah it, it really was uh to be honest with you and then i'll get to that i'll make I'm, i'll segue into that in a second um and then the Kayla starner fight that was that was a great fight um historical fight everyone was a winner in that fight um I saw that Jake Paul and Eddie Hearn made a million dollar bet for whichever fighter won they would have obviously paid the other promoter a million dollars Eddie Hearn came out and said that Jake Paul pulled out and <laughs> couldn't yeah. uh, uphold this out of the bet. Um, but you make a good point that uh, the fight should be in Ireland uh, just because Katie Keller is the champion. She won. She gave the concession. She she can see the fight in New York, and that should be a fight. I heard that like they might do a crossover fight too between Katie Keller and Holly Holm or Katie Keller and Chris Cyborg. And just give us a, give us a damn strong fight. That was that was a great fight. Um, but yeah, um, my last point is late last year uh, on the show, I, uh, I said that I was going to create a platform, a platform to improve boxing. Um, and I just been, you know, the last eight or 10 months, I've actually been going through a career change myself. So I've been extremely busy. And I've been kind of doing that on the side here and there. So, um, I initially intended to create an app, um, just haven't had the time to do it. I actually created a website. The website is, it's a, it's a work in progress. Nothing crazy yet, but it's going to involve 
Uh, it's essentially a platform where people can subscribe for free. There's a free subscription and there's also a more premium subscription because I have to put in time to do certain things uh, where they can vote on what fights they want to see, uh, the business of boxing, the landscape, and just and just get feedback. Um, and then the premium subscription is dealing with people like Kenny Bayless and commissions where I've started creating relationships with commissions and they told me that they will take my feedback and they will look at my data to what people are talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm basically creating a platform where fight fans all, all over the world can, can subscribe and give me their input, give, give the company, give us input. And it's just me right now and really try and change this damn thing because honestly, like, boxing has been losing its ground. You look up every, I look up, I look up on my computer, oh, UFC has a great fight going on. We can't get Spencer Crawford for within the last four or five years. So, you know, I want to make a change. And this is one of the things I've been thinking about. Um, instead of becoming a pro myself, I, I'd rather just utilize a grassroots movement, movement and have everyone kind of go behind the idea of making boxing better again. Or dare I say, make boxing great again. Uh, <laughs> I'll drop, I'll drop in the chat. Yeah, I was going to say, and we'll definitely, I'll, I'll blast it on, on the show, man. All right, I'll get it out there. But yeah, go ahead and throw it in the chat right now, and then uh, we'll, we'll plug it on the show once you get everything 100% up Okay, cool. All right. All right, thanks a lot, yeah. man. All right, well, that's my call. All yeah. right, thanks, Keith. Have a good one. You too, man. Peace. All right, another super chat from Sam. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it, brother. He says, uh, I like Beevil, has length and great left hook, great chin, plus 400 odds are great. Eventually, these guys will be too big, and Beevil is a live dog. Yeah, and let me let me add to that, because, um, you know, I may have not articulated my feelings clearly earlier. I think Beevil is an extremely live dog in this fight. I think that Beevil poses the greatest threat to um, Canelo since his fights with Golovkin. He's clearly the best opponent that Canelo has faced since he fought Triple G twice a few years back. He's, I think, a level above Smith and and um, and Plant and, and Saunders and all those guys. I really do. I just don't know if it's enough. I, I to me, and I saw. I think it was John in the chat made a, made a comment. You know, the fact that Canelo chose to take this fight because Canelo can fight whoever the hell he wants. It shows that they see something. They see something in Beevil that they think they can exploit. The question for me is, has Beevil been playing possum a little bit? Has he been pulling back? Because he was, he did so well for a while there. I mentioned the the four-fight run he went on in 2018-2019. Everyone avoided him after that. Everyone. Nobody's wanted to fight this guy. So as he pulled back a little bit and maybe just fought down to the level of his opposition, done just enough, is he playing possum? Is he going to come out and show us levels that we haven't seen before against Canelo? Is Canelo going to force Bevel out of his comfort zone and force him to fight and Bevel will show us levels we just never seen? That is the question. And it's absolutely possible. He's absolutely a live dog. It's just hard. I, I think it's going all 12 rounds. I don't, I, I can't see him knocking out Canelo. Again, if, just like Thad said, if Golovkin couldn't do it, and Golovkin's much more dynamic offensively than Beevil. Beevil kind of does one thing over and over. He just does it very well. Uh, I just I don't think so. I think it's going to distance, and it's just going to be very difficult. The way Canelo has learned to win rounds like Andre Ward, 
like Bernard Hopkins, like Floyd Mayweather. He studied those guys and watched how they stole rounds, like Katie Taylor. <laughs> Shit, let's put Katie Taylor in that list. He's learned how to do that, and he's going to do it against Bevel. And I just I see a decision win for Canelo. But hey, I'd love to be wrong, not because I'm rooting against Canelo, but because I love an upset special. Uh, Derek in the chat asked, could Katie Taylor retire now and be a first ballot Hall of Famer? Yes. Yes, that's it. I don't even need to go into it. Yes. All right, back to the phones real quick, guys. We're running out of time, but let's go to 818 real quick. You're on the show. Yes, my, I'll be real quick with it. Um, I wanted to say I agree with you about that the matching card was much better than top ranks, uh, top to bottom. Um, I'm not sure what the idea going behind trying to compete with uh, Taylor Serrano, which we knew was going to be bigger um, throughout the boards. I mean, people on social media were even you could see the engagement was probably more towards uh, Serrano Taylor versus uh, Stevenson and Valdez. Um, and it, it's funny that, you know, in an interview, Bob Aram was talking about no one that uh, really cares about women's boxing when uh, he has a woman's fighter in his yeah. table. So that really, right. you know, I know that didn't make sense, but granted, the guy's 90 years old, so he doesn't really have a filter anymore. And he's high um, all the time. So, and then, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, but, uh, one of the last, two last points, and then I'll wrap it up, is um, there are not really a lot of fights, you know, I personally get emotional about. You know, I've um, I've only ever selected few. You know, there's Gotti Ward, Corrales Castillo, um, uh, Hagler Hearns, and I, I feel like now on that list, we have Serrano Taylor, and we can p- p- potentially have more because of a rematch and possibly a trilogy, which I think could happen. Um, Jim Lampley once, uh, you know, he called Gotti Ward round nine his most emotional. I could see, for me personally, five and ten were just like, it almost could, it was almost tear jerking, just like they're leaving it all out in the ring. And comparing it to Stevenson Valdez, I get it, different styles and everything. You just you can't even compare the two. It's like I said earlier, the engagement was way more towards um, Serrano and Taylor. And mm. lastly, um, before I let you go, I wanted to ask um, you were mentioning all the, um, uh, potential fights for women coming up, you know, Marshall, uh, Shield, and Bumgarner Mayer. Um, can these fights be, in the eyes of, you know, as many people, just as big or just as big as Serrano and Taylor? Or are we going to see it more just on these undercards of, you know, a male fight? I, I wanted to get your opinion on that. I think there'll be headlining fights. I think uh, Mayer, Bumgarner would be a headlining ESPN card. I think that Shields Marshall, that'd be a headlining, probably the zone card. Um, but they're not going to be as big as Taylor Serrano. All the right elements worked out for this fight. The the promotional element, the international element, just everything worked, the date, the venue, all of it worked. And now there's a rivalry here. It was a close fight. There was blood and guts, as you said. And if they do a rematch, At the end of this year, November, December, let's say, in Ireland, and let's say Serrano wins it, then, dude, we get a rubber match next year back in New York, and you have a fantastic rivalry that women's boxing has never had. Uh, They need this. You Mm -hmm. know, you could get a trilogy out of this. Um, So if they do it right, yeah, yeah, dude. And so Shields Marshall is fantastic. So is Mayor Baumgartner, but it's Mm -hmm. not going to be this. This this is the biggest. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, um, you know, there's not going to be, I, it's going to, I could feel it's going to be a long time till we see something at this magnitude again. 
and you know possibly we won't get it for another 10 15 20 years but i mean we have to appreciate that it's here now and um that possibly there will be a trilogy and you know hope for the best and the best woman win but anyway i want to let you go and uh you have other callers so thank you for taking my call thanks a lot brother appreciate it man yeah john in the chat says what about amanda taylor versus katie serrano dude did i butcher the names again uh i don't know what's wrong with me today guys it, it, look it's almost fight week for me. So my brain is really scattered. So I really, really apologize to both of these ladies because I keep screwing up their names. I'm so sorry. They don't deserve that. Uh, and I, I know I've butchered, especially uh, Serrano. I've, I keep calling her Amanda Taylor. I don't know what's wrong with me. So I'm really sorry. All right, back to the phones. Let's knock out a couple more of these if we can. We got 213 on the show. What's up? Hey, Mike, how's it going? Good man, how are you? Don't they already good? Uh, don't they already have the three round option for women's fighting anyway? Just have the rematch with three rounds. Yeah, a lot of people are suggesting that, but it, once again, dude, I think it's Taylor's decision. She won the first fight, and you got to understand. She yeah, it's not going to work out for Serrano at three minutes. So yeah, what? it's not going to work out for Serrano at three minutes for sure. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, I just. Uh, I had a happen. question about. Yeah, uh, I had a question about 140 and the screeniness that's going on in that division. I thought Taylor said he was fighting Alberto Polo for the WBA mandatory. That was what I heard last, and he was going on vacation with his family. <laughs> I haven't heard anything substantial. I, it really comes down to look. All those titles are going to get busted up. And it, it, he's eventually going to move up. They're all going to get stripped. So he's going to have to make a decision. Well, do I want to fight for the BC, the BA, the, or do I just dump all these damn belts and move up to 147? So, <laughs> yeah, that's what he's going to do. Okay. Uh, how is Keo jumping up in this division right now when he hasn't fought? I don't understand that. Could you Tio, explain that one to me? Tio, what, 140? Tio Lopez. Yeah, he's ranked number two in the WBO right now. Well, he's with top rank, dude. We're Bob's organization. I know, but he hasn't fought in this division yet, right? Yeah. Well, the BO tends to, they tend to highly rate champions, former champions that move up in weight. You know, that's just the way the WBO does business. Okay. And why is the BA? Lowering Gary Akron Russell's rankings, I think, after he beat Postal. I don't understand Dude, that. Why one. does the WBA do anything they do? Yeah, that, that's like asking. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on, man. It's the WBA. Okay. I, I can't answer that. They're fucking nuts, man. Uh, 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 all right. Uh, <laughs> then one last question is okay. which fight do you think was better? The Fury fight or the Tyson plane fight, and then I'm off. Okay, which fights? What Fury, Fury White, and which other one? Yeah, Fury White or the Tyson with the airplane fight. <laughs> you don't, you didn't hear about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Because it happened on this, that same week. You know what I mean? That guy was an asshole. He deserved it. I thought Tyson <laughs> did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong, man. 
Right, well, which fight was better, do you think? The well, Fury I, I, or I the Tyson see, fight? I didn't get to see the Tyson fight on the plane. So I, we got ripped off there. So you didn't see the, Oh, there's video out there. Go look for oh, it, no man. Shit. Go look for it. Oh, I didn't see, I didn't know there was video. Yeah. I, I saw video of the dude oh, yeah. harassing Tyson, but I didn't see the video of Tyson actually. So if you look hard enough, I'm sure it's somewhere on the net. I didn't look personally, so I can't verify one way or the other, but I heard like there's full video of it. So that's awesome. I'd love to find that. That'd be fucking great. <laughs> All right, I'm off, Mike. All right, thanks a lot, brother. All right, all right. Have a good one. All right. Man, we still got so many calls, guys. I got to wrap it up at uh, two hours. So we've got like seven minutes to go. Uh, I want to make sure I didn't miss. I thought I saw a super chat. No, I didn't. I'm just okay. I'm seeing things. All right, back. We got a UK caller, so let's get this UK caller on. Um, okay, we got uh, looks like 780 in the UK. You were on the show. What's up? Listen, Bobby, this is Kel Brook. I told <laughs> this American I spark him out, and I did. <laughs> got these chocolate brownies. All right, what's up, Kel? How you doing, man? <laughs> Uh, uh, Chris Bergen, how you doing? What's up, Chris? How you doing? <laughs> I thought that was you. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought I'd do the old Cal Brook impression. How yeah, you doing? That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. I, I pictured the the bare butt yeah. cheeks walking on the beach. That what was it? Him and his trainer walking on the beach naked. That was such a disturbing photo that I saw. Oh, uh, did you did you see that about um, uh, Dominic Ingle drinking Cal uh, sweat? Yes. Oh, what the hell is going on with that, man? That's, that's so weird. Thing. Oh, my God. That was so bizarre. Oh, you drink yeah. my sweat. It was fine. Don't worry about that. <laughs> drink my sweat. <laughs> oh, it's just disgusting, man. Oh, Hello, yeah. Derek says, uh, how you doing? Derek, how you doing, Derek, man? Derek are you, are you good? Uh, Derek Williamson in the chat says that impression is only 5 out of 10. Damn, Derek, you're a tough critic. I'm, I'm going to go 6.5. I'm going to go 6.5. That was pretty harsh. I thought it was about an eight or something. <laughs> I'm gonna go seven. I will go seven. Five is harsh. Anyway. All right. Well, so you, got, you, got like you, don't you got like four <laughs> minutes to operate with, Chris. Okay. Um I wanna just talk about the um upcoming fight. Well well first of all, we'll talk about Fury and White. I know it was like two weeks ago, but I was uh me and the me and the missus were away and uh, we did some white water rafting, it was great. Um, and then I thought um, Fury White was um, not very good. I thought you know the White was poor in that fight. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk we'll talk less about that actually. Um, so we'll talk about fights that are upcoming. I think Canelo beats Bivol by uh, United decision. I think Charlo beats Castano by United decision. Yeah. I think Javar uh, Davis uh, obviously is going to beat Roly Romero, so we need to talk about that one. Uh, Benavidez against Lemieux, I think he'll win that as well. United decision. Fulton versus Roman, uh, United decision. Uh, Inoue, I think he will win by TKO this time against Denair. Uh, I don't know what you think about that one. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think, in a way, is it learned so much in that first fight that I think he's probably yeah, stopped definitely. Uh, although absolutely fantastic fight, but I do think Inoue wins that by TKO. Um, 
What about this is this is a great fight. Uh, Bam Bam versus Rungrisai. What do you think about that one? I gotta go with youth in that one. I think it's gonna have some tough moments, but Rungrisai has kind of been up and down in his performances lately. So I'm gonna go with Rodriguez, but I think it's gonna be a great fight, man. Great fight. It's in Texas, really. Too, yeah. So that's gonna uh-huh. help Bam. I, I think it's gonna, you know, emotionally push him through. I'm gonna go the other way with Rungrisai, but I mean. That guy, he uh, lost momentum big time. I mean, he like beat Chuck Wasito twice, you know, and, and uh, you know after that, it just he just went. He just never fought anyone else, did he? Yeah, yeah. He kind of went back over to Thailand. He fought a couple of guys over there, uh, but it, it just yeah, his career kind of stalled out a little bit. And again, momentum matters. And, you know, the location of this fight and everything else, I think it will go the distance. But I like Rodriguez. Yeah. I, I still think Rungrisai, though, because what, from what I saw from him back then, it was unbelievable. He looked, yeah. he looked fantastic when I saw him. Like a little tank. I mean, we'll see how he goes. I know it's a few years, a few, late, a few years later now, but we'll see how he goes. Um, and then uh last thing I would say is... um Talking about uh, Jake Paul was involved with uh, the Katie Taylor fight and everything. I think if he, I think if he fights Tommy Fury, uh, Jake Paul beats Tommy Fury. What do you think about that? You're not alone. I, I think a lot of people, especially after Tommy Fury's last fight, it did not look very good. Um, I think he has a real chance, but it would be a massive. As crazy as it sounds, Chris, that would be a big step up for Paul because he'd be going from absolute novices to a guy that isn't very talented, but he is a trained boxer. So it still would be a big yeah. step up. But I think you're right. I think he actually could beat Fury, Tommy Fury, which would be huge. That really would. Have you seen the video of uh, Tyson Fury uh, when Tyson Fury is getting into a limo with his friends and everything, and he uh, doesn't let Tommy Fury into the uh, limo? Have you seen that? No, no, I haven't seen that, but that's, that sounds pretty He funny. told him he's not allowed in. He's not allowed. Uh, Tyson told Tommy he's not allowed in the limo. He said, you need to go home. Go home to your girlfriend. You know, you've... Wow. <laughs> and he's having to go at him. Uh, he's like, if you want to beat Jake Paul, you need to go home and so uh, train more and... He's like, you, you should not be going to these pubs and having a party and stuff like that. Have you not seen it? Hmm. No, I haven't seen it, but that's a great by Tyson to say that uh, because he's right. Yeah, he keeps he, yeah, he keeps having to go at him and telling him, you know, you need to go home with the girlfriend, get a plan together, you know, if you want to win these, you know, fights, you need to, like, train harder and stuff like that, so... Hmm. He's right. This, yeah. this is a full-time gig, baby. You can't half-ass it. Exactly. So. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Cheers, Mike. Good to speak to you. All right, brother. Good to hear from you, man. Have a great night. We'll do it again soon. And yourself. All right. Take care, brother. Right. That's it, guys. We're right up at two hours. One last super chat from Leonardo Campos Vasquez. He says, we need Shakur Stevenson versus Emmanuel Navarrete before he moves up from 130. I know Top Rank would like to do that. Does Navarrete want to do that? I don't know. His length might pose problems for Shakur that that, uh, Valdez couldn't do. So that might be interesting. I would love to see that fight. Absolutely. But um, I don't know if Navarrete and his people 
want to see that. Play. All right, guys. Great freaking show. Great calls. I'm sorry I couldn't get to all of you. But uh, enjoy your week, and we'll do a Friday over on my channel. All right? I'll see you at the fights. Peace.